Well, good morning and welcome to Twin Cities Church. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. If you're not visiting with us, you're returning, you're still welcome. Um, my name is Lawrence. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're in the midst of our series here uh, within the life and teaching of Jesus. And we get to kind of continue and pick up the pace here within uh, the finishing of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me pray here before we get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do praise you and we thank you for who you are and for what you have done. Uh, Lord, you are truly worthy. Lord, we just ask for a greater portion of that love and that mercy of your spirit. Lord, help us. Strengthen us. Lord, strengthen us in our, in our hearts to really see you, to desire you more than the things of this world. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us in our weakness. Lord, help us to put our hope in you. Father, help us this morning. Open up our heart and our eyes to your word. Lord, help us to be faithful with your text. Uh, Lord, we want more and more of you. So Lord, please be with us here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and George has been going through Mark, and the good news of the gospel is, is, I mean, it just comes out right away at the beginning of all of these things. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we've gotten it pretty clearly. The good news of the gospel is that everybody has access to the kingdom. The king shows up into human history, and instead of telling us how we can go to his kingdom, he brings the kingdom to us, and he says, everyone has access into this life. Everyone has access into this kingdom everyone can be a part of this. It doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of human existence, the kingdom is for you, which is such great news. But the reality is, not everyone experiences that kingdom. We talked about that in these last few weeks, about this community of, of the kingdom versus the communities of this world, and how within the kingdom there should be love, within this world there is judgment and there is fear, not everyone experiences the kingdom, and not everybody desires the kingdom. You know, when you take polls, or when there's things, you know, kind of about popular opinion, Jesus rates pretty high. Believer or unbeliever, everyone looks at Jesus favorably. Everyone agrees that if everyone in this world was more like Jesus, this world would be a better place. People are fans of Christ. They're fans of Jesus. But not everyone follows Jesus. Not everyone chooses Jesus to be their teacher or their Lord. But we all are students at some level. We all have teachers. If you reflect on your teachers and who's your teacher around you, you know, it, we all have teachers. We all have favorite teachers. Right? I'm in the profession of being a teacher. Every, everyone is being taught at some level. So much of our life involves teachers around us. From our youngest years, when it's our parents or our teachers, to when we go off to school and now we have other adults as our teachers, you go off to college. And then even when you're out of college, we're not done being taught. And you still have teachers in your life. You still have mentors in your life. You still have the people who you're learning from in your life. All of us are being taught. Some of the teachers in our life we have selected very intentionally. Some of the teachers in our life, 
we have not been very intentional about, but they've just become our de facto teachers, the people who we look up to. But unfortunately, right, Christ is not often thought of in that way. He's not often thought of as our teacher. He's often thought of as our Lord, as our Savior, as all of these good things, but not as our teacher. Christ wants to show us, right, and the Gospel of Matthew is going to draw us towards this today, but this picture of Christ is offering us more than just access to his kingdom. That would be good news. Christ comes and says, all have access to my kingdom now. That's great. But the good news of the gospel is more than just that we have access to the kingdom of God. It's more than just that we have been forgiven of our sins. He he offers us, he actually offers us life. He actually offers us the opportunity to be his apprentice, to be his students, to follow him. Not just get a reward from him one day, but to actually walk in his steps. To be apprenticed by the king. We speak of him often, right? I mean, we do, clearly. In your life, in the church, we have Bible studies, we have groups, we have all... We speak of Jesus so much. And on one level, we expect to become like Jesus... But why do we expect that? It doesn't come naturally or easily. And Christ warns us that to follow him is going to be hard. If you have your Bibles with you, um, we're going to be going through Matthew 7, 13 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the sides, but we'll also go through it up on, on the screen as well. So in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. some of the most frightening right, scripture we kind of encounter these words of Christ and it strikes us with a little bit of fear when we come across, across these types of passages especially as we try to reconcile it with the good news of the gospel that everybody has access to the kingdom and then here you see Jesus seems like he's restricting this access or at least warning us that not everyone 
is going to make it. And it, it causes turmoil for us because in a lot of ways, you know, Christianity, at least modern Christianity, the way we think of being a Christian is super complicated. You know, when, it, when we talk about what makes you a Christian, what makes someone saved, like these are conversations that cause a lot of anxiety and fear and hurt feelings and theological division, right? But like, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? Who is in? Who is out? What necessary steps do you have to do to make sure you're in? What things do you have to avoid to make sure you don't get left out? What do you actually have to believe? What things do you not believe? What do you have to hold on to? Christianity is really complex and really complicated, that question of like, what is a, who is a Christian? Who is in and who is out? But Christ simplifies it so much more. He cuts right to the heart. And it's not so much about whether or not we believe the right things, do the right things. But the question is, are we his followers? Are we his disciples? Who are you pursuing in your life? Who are you following after? Because discipleship is actually not that complicated. What Christ is offering his followers is not a complicated system. He is such a good teacher. He does not offer us a path. He doesn't offer us a system of belief. He doesn't offer us things that we have to do in order to be saved. He offers us himself, and he says, follow me. By following me, it will be difficult, but it will be worth it. Follow me. It's very narrow. There's only one person to follow. Follow me, and you will find life. Being a student, being a disciple is not very complicated. If you ask somebody, are they a Christian, right, well, that's a complicated answer. Well, what do I believe? Well, what, what do you mean by Christian? Which type of Christian are you talking about? But if you ask somebody, are you a student? That's a yes or no question. They don't have to be a good student. You can be a terrible student. You can be a very good student. But you're a student. You're, it's, that's your position in life. You are following after someone. You are learning from someone. Are you a disciple or are you not? It's really what Christ is offering us and asking us. Discipleship is where you follow after someone with this intention of becoming like them or learning how to do what they do. So are we following Christ or are we not? Are we a student of his or are we not? We're all learning from someone, right? There are many options when it comes to learning from people. Are we students of Christ? Am I following after him? And it doesn't have to do with what do I say or what do I do. It, it's not about those things. It's not about the external, which Christ does such a great job of kind of cutting through that. Because again, if I want to evaluate what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to be in, what does it mean to be out, we go straight to externals and pull out doctrines and have you said the right thing? Have you prayed the right prayer? Do you do the right behaviors? Christ just lays it out. That, no, no, are you following me? Who are you becoming? What is going to be the fruit of this? What are you after? Who are you after? Discipleship. 
is a simple following of Christ. But it's very narrow. It's a narrow gate. And few are going to follow Christ. Which is our experience. Again, Christ is incredibly favorable. We all love Jesus. In fact, the non-believing world loves Jesus. But who is following Jesus? Jesus says this, this path will be narrow. Few will follow. And we can understand why it's few. Because to follow Jesus involves more than just saying certain things. It involves more than just believing certain things. It involves my entire life. It involves every aspect of my life. Becoming like Christ in everything. Right? This is a life-consuming process. And I'm becoming like him. I'm not being Jesus, which is really a freeing concept as well. It's not about doing what Jesus did, but rather becoming the type of person that would approach all parts of my life like Jesus would. It's not about the teaching. Jesus' teaching has been so straightforward. If you read through the Gospels, it's very straightforward. Love God, love your enemy, love your neighbor. It's not complicated. Trust God, love him, love others. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. His teachings are so straightforward. The difficulty is about becoming someone for whom this is natural. That's what's hard with Christ's teachings. We can all look at Christ's teachings and want them and agree that they're good. We want to be in a community of love, not a community of judgment and condemnation. We want to be in a community that puts others' needs above their own. We want to be in communities that live for others. We want these things. But to be someone where this kind of life naturally comes out of it, where you can't think of not loving your enemy. That's hard. To become the type of person who naturally loves, to be the type of person who naturally asks and seeks instead of judging and condemning, to be the type of person where the sharing of treasures flows out naturally, the speaking of truth, just flows out of that life. It's difficult. And you can, we can see that to become a person like that would involve our entire being. It would involve everything. If I'm truly going to become like Christ, not just doing the things that he did, right? that actually would be somewhat easier. And that's what, a, in a lot of religion, that's the idea. You want to become like the teacher, you do what the teacher does. Well, he was homeless, he traveled and taught, I will leave everything, I will sell my possessions, I will travel and teach, I will look like him, do what he does exactly. But that's not what Christ is after. Christ is after something much greater than that, something much more holistic than that. He wants to change us, not have us conform to him, but rather become him. So that we can live our lives the way that he would live his life, doing the things that we do. So it's going to involve all aspects of our life, and probably no greater place than in our actual just interactions with others and the way that we work. 
when you think about the New Testament, the whole Bible keeps teaching about this, that Jesus has saved us, and then it goes on to show how the gospel interacts within our life, and how it is about so much more than that. I think for a lot of us, for modern evangelicalism, we kind of have treated the Bible as if it ends at the end of John. Right? We have the Old Testament, and it leads us to Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, and then we're done. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And that is good news. But the Bible continues after this. There is a life that Christ has called us to. The gospel bears down on every aspect of my life. We don't just stop with this good news that we have been brought into the kingdom. But rather, we're now supposed to live our life in this kingdom which involves everything, which is why the New Testament is so encompassing of all aspects. Why, Paul, why does Paul talk so much about marriage, right, as a guy who's not married himself? Because the gospel affects the way that we live with each other. Why does Paul talk about how to raise children? Right? Why does Paul talk about how to work? Because the gospel affects our entire life. Because if we're going to grow up into Christ, if we're going to become like him, it's going to involve everything, and especially our work, especially how we spend our time. We're not supposed to just be thinking in theoretical forms and about how we should be spending our time or what I could be doing with my time, but rather, how do I spend my time? What do I do with my life? How does the gospel affect it? Ryan's going to be preaching here in next week about work. The New Testament has a lot to say about work. Jesus has a lot to say about work. The gospel affects everything. How do I bring the gospel to bear on all parts of my life? Everything that I do, how do I become more and more like Jesus? And the good news is that we're not alone in this, but Christ has called us as followers as we follow him, as we pursue him, as we are students of him, we do this together. Communities of followers of Christ coming together, becoming more and more like Christ, that are making more and more followers of Christ, bringing more and more people into this family that are becoming like Christ. But there's a, there's a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect for us in the church today. If you've been around Christianity for any part of your life, you have already experienced this disconnect or seen it or felt it, where we can talk about discipleship and we can talk about Jesus a lot. And we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We can even memorize these things, right? We know what the fruit should be. We know what it looks like to be in Christ. That there should be an overflowing of thanksgiving that comes from that. There should, love should overflow. Thankfulness, patience, joy, this kind of quiet life that honors God and is appealing to the world. We, we understand that. And we know that that should be the fruit of following Jesus. And so we just talk about Jesus a lot in the hopes that if we talk about him enough, people will eventually start to become like him. But doesn't always happen. 
where you can know everything about Jesus and not look like him. Where we can know what Jesus has done for us and we can know who we are supposed to be and we just hope that somehow we will become more and more like Christ. There's no lack of teaching about Jesus and there's no lack of guilt in the church for not being like Jesus. But there's a disconnect about how do we make that bridge? How do I go from hearing the gospel, hearing the good news, learning about Christ, to becoming like Christ? And Jesus warns his disciples, right? This is why this is such a stern warning. It will be possible. In fact, there will be many who will know about Jesus, who will know everything, who will say and do the right things, but will not have a part of his life. And notice, it has nothing to do with their doctrine. It has nothing to do with what they ascribe to or what they believe in. It doesn't even have to do with what they're doing. Right? They're doing amazing work for Christ. They know everything about him, yet still, they miss out on Jesus. Christ is warning his disciples. Right? He's warning us. He's calling us to experience life in him. And is saying, don't get caught on the outside. Look at who you are becoming and the type of person you are becoming. Who do you want to be? Who are you following after? And as disciples of Christ, I mean, and maybe that's not even a term that you could ascribe to yourself, right? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple? We understand that being a disciple is just somebody who is following after Jesus, but what if I am not following after Jesus? How do you become a disciple? That, that's not taught on very often. It's not, uh, it's not a popular sermon series to talk about discipleship in general because it's uncomfortable. I don't know, you know, Becky was asking me just this morning, you know, how, how to go prepping for the sermon series, or for the sermon today, it's like, Oh, it's not a fun, it's not that exciting to talk about discipleship or to think about it all week for me too. Where you're like, you know, it's because it, it, it makes us actually evaluate where am I going with things? What is my intention? Who am I pursuing? And so much of the Christian life is one in which we just assume and hope for the best. I've heard about Jesus, and I just assume and I hope that the fruit will just come, that this should just naturally come. I will naturally become the type of person who is like Jesus. Why should we expect that? And in fact, we experience such pain and disappointment then in those moments where we are not able to withstand when we do choose sin knowingly, when we have these weaknesses, when we're unable to perform under the pressure that we feel like we should be able to perform under, and you, f- you just feel this guilt and shame of, you know, well, why can't I? Oh, I've been a Christian for so long. I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? And the better question is, why would I think I could do this? If I look at the life of Christ and I look at the life of his disciples, 
and I look at the life that he's called us to, that's a life that takes intention. This is a life that takes hard work. This is a life that is going to cost me things. Christ didn't just live the life that he lived for fun. He had to live in that way with intentional time of solitude and prayer and of fasting. If the Son of God needed to live a disciplined life to do the work that he did, why do I assume that I can just hear about him and then perform on the spot? Right? It's like the wanting to be a great musician and just assuming I can just step up and play and then feeling disappointment and anger that I can't when the moment came. Well, why did I, how did I think I would be able to do this? If I haven't committed myself to being apprenticed, to learning, to being discipled, to becoming someone. This is what Christ is offering us. He's offering us the chance to become his disciples, to be apprenticed by him, to experience his life, and to grow in our abilities and in our likeness of him. Few are going to take that opportunity. Few will pursue him in that way, is what Christ says. But the cost of not pursuing that, right? we experience that all the time. So what are we to do? Well, Christ has given us a few instructions about how to live in this kingdom. The first thing we need to do is we need to ask. Right? Christ told us this already. This knocking, this asking, this seeking is the petition or the position of a disciple. Have you asked Christ to teach you? Right? I haven't. Very, very few times in my life could I say that that's actually been true. I have thanked him for saving me. I have asked his forgiveness. But have I asked him to train me? Have I asked him to teach me? Have I asked him to show me himself and his life? Right, if you want to be discipled by someone, you ask. Right, you seek out a, a mentor. You seek out someone who will apprentice you so you can be an apprentice to them. You ask. I think our first step in being a disciple is to ask. And then... The picture that Christ gives is we are to remain in him. We are to dwell with him. How do you be discipled? Well, I seek out the person that I want to be discipled by, and I ask them, and then I hang around. Right? You can't be discipled if you won't stay with them. If you're only coming every now and then to Christ or being around him very irregularly and sporadically, how do you expect this to work? We have to dwell with him. We have to look around us in our life and, says, and say, right, where can I find Jesus? And then you have to go there. If that's his word, if that's the community, if that's, you know, other people, or if that's in solitude, you, you have to do this. We have to do this. We have to dwell with Christ. It's why a disciplined life is so necessary. It's why it's important for us to be spending time with Christ. Find him and stay with him, dwell with him. And then there's this last piece, though, where we, we really have to actually make a decision. 
We have to be intentional. There's a, there's a power to this. Christ continually asks his disciples again and again to make this decision, even though they've already made their decision so many times. If you think about it, he, he asks them to follow and they follow. And then he keeps asking them to follow him and they have to keep saying it again and again and doing it again. Do you love me? You know, and he goes to Peter at that picture like, do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me? Because we need to intentionally decide to love and follow Christ. There's a power that comes with that, with being intentional with our love, with being intentional with our decisions, intentional with our path. Which leads us into this life lived in Christ and a life lived for others because we are disciples with others making disciples now. We are no longer in this position of being teachers, being judges, the ones who are trying to convert everybody. Rather, we are now in a position of weakness. We are in a position of service. We are in a position of not knowing everything and pursuing everything and bringing people in to that same pursuit along with us. rather than saving people from things, right? Because modern Christianity has done a great job of that, of offering a gospel that saves you from things, right? It saves you from hell, that saves you from guilt, saves you from condemnation, that saves you from all the kind of sorrows and pains and heartache of our life. But we haven't done a great job of preaching a gospel that saves you for something, as a disciple, though, I know what Christ has saved us for. He saved us to live a life in Him. He saved me for things, which now makes it possible to make disciples. But we have this issue, right? <laughs> and this, this is so true with all the gospel. As we, as we go through the gospel of Christ and as we hear these words in His teachings, He's very straightforward. The teaching of Jesus is not difficult. It's very, very straightforward. Love me. Love others. Follow me. That's an easy idea. But what's hard is how do we become the type of people that actually desire Christ? How do we become the type of people who want him not just as our scapegoat, not just as our sacrificial lamb, not just even as our king, but how do we become the type of people who want him to be our Lord, who want him to be our teacher? Because there's beliefs, there are, there are long-standing hopes and beliefs that stand between us and Christ. And what keeps me from following Jesus and I'm imagining it's the same for you, but what keeps me from following him is that I earnestly believe I can learn to live my life just fine without him. I believe that he has saved me, but I believe I can live a good life without him. I believe that he freed me. I believe that he is the king. But when it comes to my day-to-day -day life, I'm okay. 
I've got a pretty good life going. I, I can do this. I don't see him as worth it. I don't see the life that Christ offers me as a life in which I should give up everything and follow. How do we become people who stop just talking about Jesus, but who actually start to live intentional lives becoming like Jesus? That's a lot harder. And for a lot of us, we're scared to because of the cost that comes with it, or at least the perceived cost that comes with it. Like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to sell all my possessions. I don't know if I'm ready to do all these things that it sounds like that's coming with along with that. How do we get to the place where we see the cost of not following Christ is greater than the cost of following him? And we have to look, we have to look at the cross. Because when Christ is giving these words to us in Matthew 7, this is all leading to when his disciples will see him on the cross. Christ is not just any teacher. Right? He is not. He is such a better teacher. He is not just a Buddha. He is not just a Confucius. He's not just a, one of millions of teachers. He's better than Plato. He's better than any of the possible teachers that we could have. Because when we look at Christ, we see a teacher who dies for us. Because the reality is, yes, Jesus lived the life we were meant to live. It's true. And so when I look at the life Jesus lived, I want that. I want to be able to live like he did. But the gospel doesn't end there. That's where religion often ends. Okay, now, if it ends there with Jesus just living the life I was supposed to live, now I just work hard to obtain that life. He's my example. He's my model. He's what I'm pushing after. He's what I'm going for. But the problem with that is I'll never, I'm never going to reach it, which we know. I, I can't do this. But then the good news of the gospel is not just that he lived the life that I was supposed to live, but that he died for the life that I actually live, the life that I choose to live all the time. All of these decisions that I do make that are of nothing to do with him, he died for those things. My teacher paid the price, the penalty, right? He took on himself all of the result of the life that I have lived, which is great news. But the gospel doesn't end there either because if it ended there alone as well, now I just owe it to Christ. Right? I, now I've got to prove myself. Now I've got to pay him back. Now I've got to, oh, wow, right? Wow, my teacher did that for me. So now I need to live this life for him because he did so much for me. That works. That's a powerful motivator. I have been motivated by those types of ideas for a lot of my life. The need to pay back, the need to impress, the, the unbelievable feeling of, wow, that was done for me. But the good news of the gospel is not just that he lived the life that I should or that he died for the life that I actually live, but that he credits me with his life. 
his life that he lived, he gives to me. He gives it to me. He counts me as righteous. He gives me that life that he lives. Even though I didn't live it, and I'll never live it, he gives it to me freely. What does that do? Right? What does that do? That changes everything. It changes the way that we live our lives. It changes the way that we approach discipleship. I don't have to be a good student, which is good news for those of us who are bad students. And it's bad news, but really freeing news to those of us who are good students. <laughs> right? Because the gospel is not a story of the strong giving a message to the strong. It says, if you can be a good enough student, you can experience this life. If you can follow Jesus good enough, if you can just get this in your thick heads, right? If you can just start to do this, then you will be a good student, and then God will bless you, and you'll start to experience his life. No. It doesn't. No. All of us have this life, and it's been given to us. It has nothing to do with how good of a disciple I've been or I will be. It has nothing to do with how good of this I will do. It doesn't matter how many bad choices I've made or will make. I have access to this life now. He's given it to me freely and fully. It gives me hope. It gives me hope, right, that it doesn't rest on me. That this work, this becoming more like Jesus, this life of discipleship, isn't on me to do it isn't on me to finish. It isn't on me to perfect it. It isn't on me. I can struggle without losing hope. It may take years, and it should. Why would I expect it to go quickly? Why would I expect this life of discipleship to happen overnight and for me to have all this fruit, to me to be overcome sins? Why would I expect that to happen so quickly? Why wouldn't I expect Jesus in his love and his mercy and his patience to work on me over time because he's finished me. He knows who I am and I know who I am. I have hope. And it gives me a purpose in life. If this is true, if Jesus has credited me with his life, if I was bought with a price, then my heart is moved. And I live for others and not for myself because there's no longer myself to live for. There is no life that I need to obtain to. There is no good life that I need to try to achieve. But if I have been given a life, now I can stop living for myself. Because a life of discipleship, right, through an individual lens or th without the full gospel becomes a very selfish life. A life where I'm after the life that I want and I will do what I need to do to become like Jesus more and more and more. But if Christ has done all of the work and has given me his life, all right, how do you live if I can't live for myself anymore? Now I love others. Now my life of discipleship is a life lived with others and for others. It gives a purpose to life. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gives us, gives us his life. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to live up to it. I don't have to pay it back. I can't even lose it. But we have to choose to experience it. 
this gets, again and again through the New Testament, this is this, this idea of experiencing our salvation, experiencing the joy of Jesus, experiencing that life, growing in that knowledge of God, growing in our hope in Him. Christ has given us all life. What will we experience? What are we growing into? What are you becoming? What, have you, what are you intentionally pursuing with your life? What am I intentionally pursuing? Am I intentionally pursuing Jesus and the life that he offers me? Or am I pursuing other things? Christ is offering us himself as the source of our life and of our discipleship. And he says, choose me. It's a narrow gate, this life. But it's worth it. Because you'll have me. But again, it takes decision. It takes intention. It takes love. It takes being moved by love. It takes seeing Jesus as our good and faithful teacher, living a life that we were meant to live and dying for our life and giving us his. And say, well, what else can I do? Right? And that's what the disciples say to Jesus too, right? Where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has life. How do we get to the place where we see Jesus is offering us life? Well, we have to be intentional about actually seeing and pursuing Jesus with our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you did on, your, on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the life that you offer us. And Lord, we, we acknowledge and confess to you how uh, quickly and easily we forget about you and pursue other things with our lives, seek after other sources of life in this world. Lord, we're thankful that our standing in the kingdom has nothing to do with how hard we work but has everything to do with how hard you did work and your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, continue to show yourself to us. We want to see you and be moved by your great love and mercy for us. Lord, help us. Meet us in our weakness. Lord, give us your life. Help us to seek after you. In your name, amen.